Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 55 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today I have with me Megan Parocha, and we are going to be talking about parenting. Parenting children who've been traumatized by divorce and abuse and other related things, as well as what it's like as a parent who is dealing with your own trauma to be um, parenting children who have their trauma and all the different triggers that this involves. So Megan is the perfect person to talk to about this because she has a master's in clinical social work. She's got a certificates in trauma-focused CBT, understanding addiction, school social work, and mediation. Megan wrote most of her graduate-level papers on the dynamics of abuse, and she received an award in social justice in graduate school for her protection order case, Changing Colorado State Law to Protect Survivors. Megan is also on the board of directors for Give Her Wings, one of my favorite nonprofits, which provides financial scholarships to women and children who have left an abuser. Megan volunteers in policy meetings with Violence Free Colorado to continue working on changing state law to protect survivors of IPV. Megan recently started her own nonprofit, which we're going to talk about towards the end of the show, called Survivors United Network, which aims to provide free community-based peer support group meetings for survivors of domestic violence. Megan is a proud mother of a wonderful and brave daughter and enjoys distance running and playing with her dog. Let's meet Megan. Megan, welcome to the Flying Free Podcast. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time and sharing some of your expertise with us. Oh, thank you so much, Natalie. I'm very excited. So we were talking before we started recording, and I just thought, man, we have to record this because this is what you know about and what you've done your research on, and I really think that you're going to have a lot of good things to share with us. But I've recently decided to write a book on parenting, basically post-abuse, although Mm-hmm. I, I hate to say that, and I'm not going to probably, I don't know how I'm going to frame that in the book, because the problem with parenting, when you, even after you get out of your abusive relationship, is that your kids are, especially if you have kids that are underage, they're still more than likely dealing with the abuse because they're involved in their, their dad's still involved in their lives. Yes. And then you're also having to co-parent with that, with that um, person. And so it, they're, you're getting re-triggered. Your kids are, have been traumatized, so their trauma is triggering your trauma, and it just can be a huge, huge mess. And oh. so um, I put a little question on my Facebook page asking people to tell me what their greatest pain points were or what, their, what they really wanted help with the most, and I just got bazillions of responses. So I realized this is a huge issue that needs yep. to be addressed. I don't really think there's anybody out there that's addressing parenting from this perspective, I I've looked and I don't really see anything out there that's significant. And so, um, anyway, why don't you tell us what you think about that and what your, um, the research that you've done into the work that you've done in this area? Yeah. So, um, this is actually something, you know, when I left my ex-husband, I had just started grad school, um, getting my MSW and, 
I kind of, you know, I like to ask a lot of questions and I really, really wanted to kind of look into how to be a better parent because I never thought my life would end up the way it did as a single parent. Um, I had, you know, like a lot of people I'm sure thought that two parents in the picture was the healthiest having a father figure. And so I was, I was very, very scared, but also, um, very curious about how to approach being a single parent while also dealing with someone who was very abusive and narcissistic. And so when I was in school, I took um, childhood trauma classes, a lot of stuff on attachment theory. And um, I learned a lot. I I really learned a lot. And I also saw a therapist myself. And um, I think one of the biggest things when you're dealing with all this trauma, the trauma of the divorce, the trauma facing what happened to you, you start realizing that some of that pain carries on to your children. And, um, you know, you, you, people tend to either feel, um, angry, sad, or you repress it. And I remember asking my therapist, I was like, you know, after getting divorced, I was so, I almost felt empty. Like I just didn't know who I was, what I wanted to do anymore. Um, I didn't know how to give my daughter the attention that she needed because I wasn't completely happy inside. And, um, so one of the things I really worked on was finding, you know, who I was again, I started doing yoga. I started running, did a lot of things that my ex-husband didn't really let me do. He was very controlling, didn't give me the time to do that, those kind of things. Um, and so one of the things that my therapist always told me was, um, you have to be very, very present with your children. And I think we live in a time with, you know, social media phones, um, have just having your phone or computer within your eyesight, within your vision reduces your empathetic responses by 60%. So, um, being, you know, surrounded by all of this, we're not fully present with our children. And, and then you compound that with trying to get divorced with, you know, the, the constant, um, abuse that follows leaving an abuser through the family court and all of that. Um, so it's really, really hard to try and be a good parent, but Another thing that I think is super important is it's better to give your kids experiences rather than objects. And with an abuser, you can get so easily stuck in that pattern of, you know, they're going to buy things and maybe have more money than you to try and exert control over your children. And you don't want to get caught in that trap. It shouldn't be about who bought what, who gave them this, that like buying stuff does not demonstrate real empathy, real love to your children. And what I learned in this research that I kind of did in all the books I've read on attachment theory is um, you can't ever give your children enough love. And by that, I mean, present empathy, you know, giving them experiences, taking them out, hiking, swimming, um, giving them your full attention, letting them be completely creative and play and do art and all of these things. Um, that typically, you know, people who may, might be more controlling and abusive, they don't, they don't like that. They don't like the messes. They don't like the kind of, it might seem to them chaotic, but it's actually what children need to thrive and grow and learn, explore the environment, who they are. Um, for example, my ex-husband, he didn't really even like to go outside. Like while we were together, he never wanted to go to the park. He never wanted to take my daughter to the beach because he didn't like sand. Um, but just, you know, being able to give your children those experiences are so healthy. Um, and it just, it leads to much more, um, kind of expansion in the brain. Um, 
So I, I, you know, and, and it's so hard because you're, you're up against someone who kind of keeps you stuck in this thing of buying and buying stuff. Not all, probably not all narcissists do this, but, um, a lot of abusers use money and objects for control. And so it, you know, it was really hard for me because my daughter would go see her dad and he'd buy her absolutely everything she wanted, but she was only there for like a several weeks, a year. And then I feel like the bad guy saying, no, we don't need that, you know, but it's, it's our responsibility as parents to teach our children emotional intelligence. We have to teach them empathy. We have to teach them, you know, what matters. And so, you know, it feels really difficult sometimes to have to say no or explain to your children, like, I prefer to give you these experiences this time rather than buying you like 2 million um, LOL surprises that you don't really need <laughs> or play with constantly. <laughs> so, um, I think that's, that's a big part of parenting after divorcing someone who's abusive is just being confident, learning how to come back to being confident with yourself and just enjoy the time you have with your kids. Cause that's precious. Um, it's, you know, it goes by so quickly as everyone says, and even faster when you're going through all of this trauma and, um, you know, and I was very lucky having to get, getting the opportunity to go to grad school and have this time with my, um, with my daughter. But, um, it, you know, it really is parents can teach children, you know, most personality disorders are learned behaviors and most abusers have a personality disorder because the key sign of abuse is lack of empathy. And, the key sign of narcissistic personality disorder is a lack of empathy. So that's why I keep referring to narcissism in this. But um, I think that what can happen is these kind of family cycles of abuse, they, they, they're called a cycle. They pass down generations because what ends up happening is um, one parent causes a trauma because they were traumatized or for whatever reason. And then we'll, we'll talk in terms of the mom, the mom comes to the rescue, feels bad, wants to make things right, um, buys their kids, everything they want, tries to make them happy by getting them what they want or telling them that they're better than everyone else or special. And that can create another narcissist. And so, um, you know, there, there's a lot of research, narcissism or abusive personalities can be a combination of kids being spoiled, given too much. And, um, also any sort of trauma before the age of five is usually can be part of it, but not always. And so it's really important also to not tell your kids that they're better than other kids. You want them to feel special. You want them to feel loved, but you should never tell them that they're better than other children, because that's what makes them feel like they deserve more, feel like they're entitled, which then can lead into um, being a, a user or someone who's more abusive. So. so I have a question. So what if, um, what if you've got children who actually, they don't view, they don't think that they're anything special, even though you might tell them that they are, but they're, they have gotten so many messages from their dad that they're yeah. not good enough, that they don't measure up like they're so super critical, their, their dad's super critical of them. So then they come home and they just feel like sometimes they'll even say things like, I just want to die. I just want to die. I hate myself. I will never get anything right. You know, they'll repeat these messages yes. to themselves. Yeah. And then you as a mother, 
and, and literally having, they'll be having meltdowns in front of you and you as your mother are wondering, okay, so how do I, how right. do I deal with that? How do you, that's a very good question. It's actually, it's very, very common. Um, people who are kind of abusive, they'll, they'll fluctuate between like tearing someone down and then saying you're perfect or better than everyone else. And you know, it's something exactly what my ex-husband did. He did it to me. Um, and he does stuff like that to my daughter and she's only four years old. And, you know, it's, it is really hard. And I would say, um, the best thing to do is to just build up their internal world. And, you know, there's a lot of research on parenting, um, you know, like with emotional intelligence. And I think we're just now starting to get into that. Um, especially in school systems where, um, there's a shift towards teaching social emotional intelligence. And so you should really comment on not like, not objectifying, like not saying, so, so say your kid does an art project and you say, that's amazing. That art is beautiful. It's better to comment on, you worked so hard to do that and comment on their strengths. Like you, and then, and then question them, say, do you think that's true? What your dad says, and then point out times where it's not true because narcissistic thinking or abusive thinking is very black and white. It's like all good or all bad. And a lot of times one child will be pointed out or the scapegoat, they'll be pointed out as the bad, the, the no good child and everything wrong is placed onto that child because people with personality disorders can't see each person as their own whole human being. It's right. again, it's all that black and white thinking, all good or all bad. And then sometimes the one child will be the all good child or, um, the pedestal child. There's, there's a lot of terms with, with this kind of parenting. And so it's just super important to teach your kids that they are whole, that they're good at multiple different things and to comment on what they're doing and how they're doing it rather than, you know, it, it means more to say you worked so hard on that project. You, you put so much effort into it rather than just saying, you know, oh, that's really good, which I think it's, you know, people are, we're stressed, we're tired when we're parents, it's hard to kind of take that extra second and really think about how to um, talk to your children in a way that builds their emotional intelligence, their empathy. Um, and so again, with, with those situations, with parents who, you know, tear them down and just tell them that they're awful, you just, you have to just challenge it and constantly say like, this is not what I see. Look at what you've done. Look at this, look at, you know, these situations where, you know, you've, you've done great things and you've been, you've achieved things or you've, whatever it is, um, you just keep challenging that. Um, and you know, eventually your kids are going to feel that that they're, they're going to know it's, it might take time, but eventually I think if you're able to kind of maintain your own, um, inner peace and just balance and not get caught up into the reactions and emotional responses, you know, um, that's, that's kind of the best way to approach those situations because what the narcissist wants is they want you to get angry. They want you to react. They want to create this chaos because that's how they maintain their control. And it, it's so hard when they do it to your children. That's yeah. the hardest, right? It just, it tears at your heart, you know? Yep. I, I was going to recommend a book here. Um, while you're talking, you're talking about emotional intelligence and mm -hmm. it's a book by John Gottman called raising an emotionally intelligent child. I think that's, what yes. it's have you heard of that? I have that. Yes. Yeah. It's a great book. Yes. Yeah. So for anyone who's listening and you want some more information on, on that, and, and that book is really helpful for you too. You know, it's, mm -hmm. 
it, it shows you for me, when I started shifting my thinking from the growing kids, God's way method of raising children to Mm -hmm. the research that's been done about raising children and learning all of the ways that I, I was raised and, and how that affected my life and the scars it left on me. And then how I raised, I have a large family, nine kids, but I raised the first four or five differently than I've been raising the last four. Mm-hmm. And, um, because I've done a lot of research and I've done my, my own shifting in my own life. But one of the biggest things I realized is that I needed to change myself and my own thinking in these yeah. things before I could work on these things with my kids. Mm-hmm. And so it was a lot of personal work for yes. me, just deprogramming from a lot of the propaganda that I had been fed my whole life right. about just even about God, but also about parenting and, and what makes a good kid and what doesn't. And, mm-hmm. and the whole idea that your if your kids are good, then that means you're good, you know, so associating your identity with how your kids, you know, turn out. Right. Um, <laughs> so anyway, it's been very freeing in my own life and it's been really healthy for my older kids mm-hmm. um, to be able to live their lives because they're older now, they're adults to live their lives and know that they can come back to me and they can make mistakes and they're not going to have me give them a lecture or try to control what they do or try to, you know, poo poo their choices. Yeah. I don't agree with their, you know, I don't agree with their choices. I wouldn't do them, but Mm -hmm. I'm trying to come at them now from the perspective of, I really want you to do I want you to take care of yourself. So always Mm -hmm. think before you make a choice, is this going to be a choice that is caring for my body, caring for my mind, caring for my, my spirit, caring for my future and try to get them from, you know, to shift into, cause we've been taught that, well, that's so selfish to think about yourself, but no, that's actually, if we're healthy, then we're going to have healthy relationships and create a healthy environment around us. So well, and that's a hundred percent correct. I mean, you know, we're all, we all grow up with, and it, a lot of it's modeling so much behavior is modeled and learned um, because that's how you, you, you see your parents, you see, you know, how other people behave. And that's exactly right. You know, and a lot of like, I grew up, you know, if my mom stayed home and so it, you kind of have these perceptions that you have to do things a certain way based on how you were raised. And a lot of times, you know, you just have to recognize what gives you like, like, I feel like I'm a better parent when I have some time to myself and when I go work and, um, and then I come home and I have a lot more energy to just sit down and be present with my daughter. And I think there's a lot of shame, especially with being a mother in society of your, you know, it's never enough. Like we're expected to work and cook and parent and do all of these things mm-hmm. without. And I think that's a whole shift that we need to make in culture and our whole culture and society is that women are better parents when they're taking care of themselves, when they're, you know, their cup is filled up, right? You can only fill up another's cup when yours is full. And, um, and I was like you, you know, I had such a hard time after, you know, I was working full time right around when I left my ex-husband and I came home to live with my family. And, um, I had such a hard time just taking time for myself. Like I didn't even know how to do that, you know? Um, cause you're just constantly going and it's so, so important to kind of, you know, like, kids also, they sense your happiness. Like when you're kind of happy and 
grounded and doing what you love, they're going to feel that and it's going to lift them up and make them feel better. Um, but so that's totally spot on. Um, and I think we just really have to value women and parenting and how, how you can just offer so much more empathy and presence when you are taking care of yourself and doing things that you enjoy. Yep. Yeah. And it's really hard to do that. If, I mean, I think all anyone who's a survivor of domestic abuse understands that when you are trying to survive, you have very little to offer your kids. Yes. I mean, you do the best you can and you love them with all of your heart, but you are so depleted and you're so concentrated. I mean, talk about self mm -hmm. selfish. This isn't selfish, but this is what we naturally do as human beings. Yep. We are surviving. So we are, our bodies are shutting down. Our brains are shutting down yes. and out of survival. And right. that, and that's, that is a, uh, you know, the Christian world says, Oh, it's so selfish to take care of yourself. No, no, it's actually selfish not to take care of yourself. Because mm -hmm. when you're not taking care of yourself, you have nothing to give to other people. Just like you said, your cup's empty. You have nothing to spill over. Exactly. So exactly. I want to go a different direction. Um, I, I, one of the biggest things that people are mentioning is they're feeling so out of control because they're um, abusive, either husband or ex-husband. And, and by the way, just I want to remind listeners, this is a podcast for women. So if you're a man who's listening, um, you just, you can switch. I believe me, we know that women are abusive. Um, we've both experienced that in our families of origin. So it is possible that you, if you're listening and you are a male survivor, you just switch out the, you know, just switch the genders. Okay. And it all applies to you as well. But, um, the, so for those of you who are dealing with ex-husbands or even husbands who are bad talking you behind your back. So the kids are coming home and they'll be saying things like, you know, daddy said you stole this or daddy said you lied or daddy said you're a bad mom or just daddy said you're sleeping with somebody or just all kinds of crazy lies that these people are coming, these kids are coming back with. And you don't want to, we've been told, oh, you have to be careful not to badmouth your spouse or your, um, mm -hmm. your ex because, you know, he could take you to court for that. And, and yet they seem to get away with that with you. How do right. you, I mean, do you have any ideas for, as a parent, how you'd navigate that with your child so that your child understands the truth, but you don't have to necessarily like say your dad's a freaking right. liar and what, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Right. It's, you, you have to just maintain, I think, your, your inner peace or balance or whatever you call it, because again, it's them trying to get a reaction. And then, and then in court, they can point to you and say, oh, look, she's crazy because they're the ones telling all these lies. And it happened to me. My ex-husband was prolifically cheating and then accused me of cheating, you know, and then told my daughter that I left him for another man. And it's just, it's hilarious. So, you know, now I can just kind of <laughs> laugh about it, but I mean, it, in, in your right, I think a lot of women get, um, you can't, you can't say anything bad about them. And, and then there's the whole thing in family court with parental alienation, which is not even an evidence-based thing. And it's used against women to who accuse domestic violence or, or trying to protect their children. And the, your ex-husband says, oh, they're alienating me. And and so that's where you have to be really careful because a lot like the research is showing that 
if if um, an ex-husband who was abusive uses parental alienation, you're way more likely to lose a lot of physical custody. So it's very scary. Um, but then on the other hand, all of the research says that you should be honest with your children, right? Like they, they know when you're lying or they know right. when you're not telling the truth and it can be very, very damaging. And that causes sort of a cognitive dissonance and then your children don't trust you. And so I've done, I, I've researched a lot of this too, because I didn't know how to approach the, the, the topic of domestic violence with my daughter, because she was only like a year old. And I was like, well, she probably doesn't remember anything, but the brain does remember the trauma. If they've heard or seen anything. And even if it was only against the mother or, or the father, the children were there, you know, they, they in some way felt it and it does impact the brain. And, um, there, there's a lot of play therapists out there. Um, I would say we, we tried the play therapy thing and it helped so much just being able to like go with your child and talk about, you know, the emotions you, you want to do it at their level. And so I would say it's important to kind of do your own research and find out how to talk to your kids about it because you really do, you know, and like it, and you want to do it in a way that you're not, you're just saying, this is what happened. This is my experience. And this other person has a different experience, you know, mm -hmm. um, without accusing them, um, because you don't want to get caught in that game or the, you know, their constant chaos because it's, it's not healthy. Um, but you do want to be honest with your children and say, this is what happened so that they don't grow up with this like alternate reality, you know, and this cognitive right. dissonance. Right. Um, and, and that's, it's so hard to navigate that. And unfortunately, so many court systems just are not trained on this. <laughs> and, um, it's actually something that's, you know, a lot of, in Colorado, at least is we're working on, um, a lot of that, but it's unfortunately, you know, you, you can get in trouble. And so you have to be limited, I think, in what you say, but you want to validate the feelings. Um, that's the most important. And then, and, you know, what you want to be able to talk about it in a way that's their age appropriate. Um, but so again, I would suggest, you know, looking up there, there's a lot of research on like attachment theory and how to talk to your children about domestic violence. Um, and, uh, and then another thing that kind of makes me think of this is, you know, our society with parenting, a lot of times we like to tell kids how to feel like say they fall. So this is something my dad did. Whenever I fell, he would make a joke and say, Oh, did you hurt the ground? <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And, and so kids, when domestic violence happens, they internalize it. They, you know, if they were present, they're going to think that the divorce or whatever happened, they might think it was their fault if it's not properly explained. Right. And, so you don't want that to happen because then they're, as they grow up, they're not going to know how to appropriately handle their feelings, identify their feelings. Um, and they, and that could lead into either being a target for another abuser. If they don't know how to properly say, own their own feelings and say to other people, hold other people accountable for how they made them feel. And, um, so I think it's super important, like even with just small things, paying attention to how children feel and validating that. Like if they fall on the ground and scrape their knee, you know, instead of saying, Oh, you made a mistake or why did you run? That was your fault. It's really important to say, Oh, that really hurt. Didn't it? How is, how does that feel? You know, get them talking about their range of emotions because being able to talk about all of your emotions is part of emotional intelligence. And that's part of how we grow and have healthy relationships. Right. Is this content resonating with you? 
I've written a book for women of faith and destructive relationships called, Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. You can read reviews and find out more about my book on Amazon.com. It comes in paperback, Kindle, and Audible formats. And new for 2020, I've created a companion workbook for Is It Me? also available on Amazon. This workbook is like 11 power-packed therapy sessions to help you process through the important material you'll be learning from my book. These books are recommended by counselors and therapists all over the United States. I've also got a website specifically focused on helping women of faith find hope and healing. It's called flyingfreenow.com. I'll even give you the first chapter of my book and the first chapter of my companion workbook for free when you hop on my mailing list at the top of my website. Those two resources are going to help you figure out if your relationship is normal or destructive. And now let's get back to our episode. Well, and it all ties into being able to accurately assess reality because Uh we're uh, the reality inside of us and the reality outside of us. Because if we're, you mentioned cognitive dissonance, if things are not, if things are tilted and Mm -hmm. there's things that are hidden that we can't understand where that is where dysfunction comes from. And it, 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 and, and that's how we as survivors get, got so entangled in all the stuff. But when we start waking up and telling ourselves the truth, mm-hmm. we start to see things more clearly and then we can untangle a lot of the dysfunction. And one thing I think that, that helps kids and us too is articulating how, what is inside of them. Cause I think a lot of kids know deep down inside something is not right here but they don't ever have the opportunity unless we draw it out to articulate Mm -hmm. it and once they bring it out in the open now you can look at it you can see it you can talk about it and it's not as scary and you know because it's okay if you're if your dad is lying to you all the time that's Mm -hmm. a really scary thing if you can't talk about it and admit it and acknowledge that that's true. But if you can talk about it, if you have noticed that he says things that aren't true on a regular basis, I've had these conversations with my own kids. I don't even have to say your dad's a liar. They come to me and they tell me, I think, you know, dad told me this and then this is, and, but is that true? And I'll say, well, what do you think? What's your experience? And then they articulate it and then they end up coming to their own conclusion. I don't think that's true. They've all eventually come to their own conclusions that dad sometimes tells the truth mm-hmm. and dad sometimes lies. And so they know, I know, and they've accepted that. They know that about their dad. They've accepted it. They still want to have a relationship with him, mm-hmm. but, they, uh, but they have a relationship with him based on the reality that they know Sometimes he's going to tell me the truth and sometimes he's not. And I'm probably never going to know for sure which is which. So I just need to be careful around him. Yes. It's exactly, you know, my daughter's only four years old and it's exactly the same kind of conversations we have. And you're a hundred percent right. You have to let your, you facilitate those conversations, but allow them to come to their own conclusions. You don't, it's very dangerous to tell your children people are, because it's not true, even with people who are abusive, they're not always awful, right? They're not always bad. Right. And, right. and so part of it is just, you know, it's a lot of the research is it talks about just learning how to manage your expectations, you know, and it's, and that's what you're doing is teaching your children, you know, 
to, and questioning them, like, is this, what is your experience of them? How do you feel when you're around them? You know, and pointing out these kind of inconsistencies and behavior in their honesty, everything. And, um, and I think it's just super important to help your kids heal, help them learn how to manage their own expectations, their own internal world and their emotions so that they can, you know, be, be better equipped to handle the situations when they're with their father or whoever the abusive parent was. Um, and also as they grow into adults and see relationships or have their own relationships and they can better, you know, assess based on how, like, based on the validation they feel about their own internal world, you know, when, if you're able to give them that and help them, you know, pay attention to their feelings and, um, and validate them. That's the biggest part because, you know, even with domestic violence, there's a lot of just chaos, um, you know, even, even the person who's abusive feels bad at points. And, um, there's, there's just a lot of feelings involved and it's just important to teach your kids that their feelings matter and that they're, um, they're important in this situation. Yep. Okay. Before we go, I'd like you to share with the listeners about, about the work that you do and the nonprofit that you recently started and tell us just about what, what your life is like now. Yeah. Um, so right now I, so I just graduated with my MSW, um, master's in social work, and I did a lot of my research on trauma and abusive relationships. I probably wrote most of my grad school papers on domestic violence and, um, and family court, all of this. And so I um, met a woman three years ago and, um, she kind of, helped me with absolutely everything. We used to meet for coffee. And so she would help me with applying to housing and all of this stuff, because as you're going through the divorce, you're just in this constant reaction trigger mode. Um, and it's hard to just sit down and do stuff for yourself, right. And take care of yourself. And so we kind of had this idea three years ago, we were like, man, we really need to kind of start something where women can all get together, share their stories, feel validated, and, and have like a mentor who walks with them in this and helps them get resources because a lot of times so many women just can't, um, they, they don't have the capacity to ask for help or apply to resources, whatever it is. So we just started this nonprofit. It's called Survivors United Network. And we actually had our first meeting last night. It was amazing. I cried and there, there were four women there and we shared our stories. And I think it, it's just so important to have a community of women who've gone through this, who can meet up in person. And because part of it is there's so much like society just doesn't want to talk about it still. And, um, even like with family members or other friends, if they don't understand, they're not going to know how to best help you recover or validate what you're going through. And so, um, we're really working on that kind of like groundwork. Um, we're going to be starting another group in Centennial church. We want to have some groups in churches where, um, kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous, where people meet anonymously and talk about their stories of domestic violence, because part of the healing is just being able to share your story and feel heard and feel validated and not feel like you're crazy or like what's happening to you is your fault, right? And right. so, and, and a lot of the research on the brain and addiction is that the domestic violence relationship causes the same oxytocin release as a lot of addictions. Um, because you're kind of stuck in this cycle of being treated horribly that the one little piece of time where your abuser is nice 
you get addicted to that and you keep hoping that that good, good moment's going to come back, you know, yes. and, it, and it, you just get stuck in that cycle and it's, it is addictive. And so, um, we just want to offer groups where women can just feel validated, supported and, um, taken care of, and then hopefully grow that so that, um, you know, you can have a mentor who helps you in court or helps you with all of these things that you need help with when you try and leave someone abusive. And so we have, um, women in eight different States who are interested in starting up one of these groups. Um, I've put together kind of just guidelines and surveys for the groups. Um, and so hopefully it'll grow. And, um, we're, I'm also on the board of directors with give her wings and, we're kind of working together with that. We also want to do a little bit of a book club with this that's once a month and provide um, kind of workbook um, readings and stuff for women to leave and kind of heal through all of this. So is it, is it mainly for women of faith or is this for anybody? So it's kind of growing in two different ways. So there, I'm working right now with a church in Colorado and we're going to kind of develop this program for specifically women of faith, but we also want to offer it to anybody. And, um, there, so there's going to be, um, groups that are going to be able to meet up and use kind of the, whatever our guidelines and all of that are, if they want to host something kind of like how Alcoholics Anonymous has started. Um, so yeah, we're really, really hoping that this can grow and turn into something that can help a lot of women. That sounds absolutely incredible. I'm super excited about about that. And I, I, I don't know if I knew that you were on the board of directors with Giver Wings, but Giver Wings is someone that I, is an organization that I've supported um, for a few years and love that organization. So, um, yeah. Well, I did hear about you through Megan Cox, so yeah. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Right? <laughs> Well, okay. Thank you. I, I, I just want to thank you so much for being willing to come on the Flying Free podcast. And also just to let listeners know that Megan has agreed to do a, an expert workshop within the Flying Free Sisterhood private group. So if you want to learn more about that group, we, have, we bring in a different expert every month. And, um, and you get, have access to all of the past experts that we've brought in. Um, when you join and you can find out more by going to joinflyingfree.com and that's it fly free <laughs> <laughs>